Hello, this is your MC, Alistair Banks, for the return of not the AFB 548 podcast, but we'll get to the title of it towards the end. You may know me as at Sacrilicious on the Twitters, Alistair on the Slack, Arubides on the GitHub. That is how it's pronounced. It's because my family in Japan, they don't really get an AL sound of Alistair, or Al would be the short name, so I started with Aru and... Um, my last initial B for Banks, and Des for Arubides. Uh, that is me on this side of a FaceTime session and a microphone on the other side. Please introduce yourself, Mr. Lin. <laughs> yeah, I'm Mike Lin. On Twitter, I go by uh, Mikey Mikey. On Freenode, I go by Frogger, F-R-O-G-O-R. On GitHub, I go by Pudquick. Uh, I'm also Frogger on the Mac Admin Slack. Highly recommend visiting if you've never been, macadmins.org. And then uh, if you remember me from way back on uh, Undernet, I was uh, Friendy. Friendo. <laughs> Un Undernet was a thing that I actually have never heard of. I would have to Wikipedia that. Ah, uh, just a uh, competing IRC network. Gotcha. This is going to be a thing, hopefully. <laughs> where I, I am on one side of the country and a more learned individual whose brain a lot of us in the community would like to pick is on the other side of the exact same microphone, but yet three time zones away. So we'll see how often we can do this. Uh, but we're going to try to keep it somewhat brief so that I don't have to edit it for years. Uh, it does take me quite a bit to be a perfectionist and get things going when it comes to the final version of these uh, podcasts. So, we're going to start out with, we've got our pseudonyms. People would have seen us in such movies as Blah. I was attending the MacTech conference with Michael, with Mikey Mikey, uh, as he is known by many names, just recently. Or Mike to yes, friends, you know. Just Mike. Uh, or as his kids call him, Daddy. Yes. Uh, <laughs> just recently in L.A., it was a pretty fun week. The weather was colder than we would have expected. But I had a great time in the lobby, as well as a, a couple of these sessions, which were pretty mind-expanding. What was your impression of MacTech Conference this, this year around 2015? There were some sessions that were very interesting to me that I enjoyed. There was a really good talk by uh, Clay Kavnis talking about basically rebuilding their entire tool stack, not depending on what sh Apple ships in the operating system. It was very cool. I got to meet some people in person that I'd never actually seen before in person, just had talked to online for a long time. Uh, really, really enjoyed that a lot. Uh, overall, had a good time. So those tools that you mentioned are actually available on the Google uh, Mac Ops uh, GitHub repo. He has put them as luggage make files so that the way that they built those tools, you don't even need, there's no guesswork involved. If you wanted to replicate what they're doing, the exact way they're doing it, uh, they are somewhat prescriptive on, on how you would do so. so that, that was definitely the one of the more mind-expanding that I was speaking of, just because then you wrap it in a virtual and dun-dun, we need to go deeper. <laughs> uh, yeah, that, was, that was a good time. I'd like for us to do current event type stuff that isn't so pertinent to the shelf life of this podcast. Um, <laughs> in our format... Uh, I would like to go into more of what makes Frogger tick. And uh, having first interacted with you on IRC, 
that is the name that kind of sticks in my head of the identity of Michael Lynn. So oh, you'll I get pardon people me. That, that call me that in person. Like they, they, they can't get Mike. Why would I ever call you Mike? No, you're Frogger. The handle is weird. I mean, it's, it's there's these gaming connotations where I'm not really of that ilk. Uh, <laughs> not anything wrong with having a... Oh, arcades were a big part of my life, yeah. Just, I mean, the pseudonyms that get applied to people that are perhaps from a time where you had different interests and you thought different things were cool. And so, for example, if you go by the lizard now, that's a little strange. You know, it, it is what you were known and the name you keep using in these different public forums. But the other current events that were probably big over the past recent couple of months is that you had been talking with a new employer <laughs> and you decided to take them up on an offer. Uh, if you'd like to go into that. I can definitely go into the public details of it and the basics, at least. My prior job that I was working at was for a State Department in Washington State, uh, where I was doing systems management, and the new employer that you just mentioned is Dropbox. I was very familiar with the company. Actually, the first conference I ever attended, a MacTech 2013, I think, was where I ran into two good friends of mine, Nate Walk and uh, Sam Keeley. And uh, they were both working for Dropbox at the time. And they spent a lot of time and effort saying, hey, 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 <laughs> you should come work with us. The conversations changed over time. I, basically, I'm uh, family is very important for me, and I wasn't interested in moving. And at the time, they wanted, required me to be down in the San Francisco area where the headquarters are. And that conversation was reopened recently with Dropbox and the details and the specifics of it changed and no longer was I actually required to move down to San Francisco. I could actually stay in Washington state. They have a very nice, amazing office in downtown Seattle, uh, the Columbia tower, 64th floor, 360 view of the entire city, crazy, crazy space. And, um, I, uh, took them up on the offer this time around. And so, yeah, I am now doing, uh, essentially fleet management for, Dropbox. Very, very happy to be there. You get to see the Space Needle? Oh, yeah. It looks teeny tiny from the office. <laughs> that was actually in the first conversation that I had with Jody Rogers, that he was specifically at that point in the municipality of Seattle, and he therefore paid that much, hundreds of dollars more in rent, because he's over the city line right into Seattle, and that he, he liked the fact that they also... Like, like I was saying with the Empire State Building, uh, light it up in funny colors to commemorate different things. You're therefore going to be going into Seattle on a more regular basis. That, that's still going to be a bit of a haul for you? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't actually live in Seattle proper. There will be commute time involved. But again, part of that change in the conversation, we worked out an arrangement where I'd actually be able to spend more time at home as well and uh, definitely makes up for, you know, whatever travel time's involved in, in getting into Seattle. So both sides of the conversation, we were very happy. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, they, they, they got to stay home. No, there's... There's very few people on the planet that walk in the door with your skill set. <laughs> so they're they, they taking care of themselves by making sure that it's an attractive proposition for you. This is funny also that we recorded a podcast at that first MacTech conference that you attended. Yeah. That was a lot of Sam Keeley banging on a table, as I recall. <laughs> uh, and it was also, if, if I recall correctly, the time that you signed up for Twitter. 
Uh, yeah, basically, um, Mac Tech, gosh, you'd think a conference full of Mac administrators, everybody would be on iMessage if they needed to get a hold of each other and everything. No, 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 no. Oh, I got this Android phone over here, and oh my gosh, does that guy have a Windows phone? What the heck's going on? I, I mean, I don't know if I actually saw anyone with one, but, but the uh, coordination method of choice, the chat method of choice, was Twitter. And I had an account that I had created like a long time ago for some sign up thing that I never actually used. And I was like, damn it, you guys, you're forcing me to do this here. And, and I got, yeah, I, I started using it and I've been unfortunately addicted to it ever since. It's literally the only common social media platform that I'm actually on. Don't have a Facebook account, don't have a LinkedIn, don't have any of that other stuff. But Twitter, yeah, it's not going anywhere. <laughs> we, we can't convince you to get a LinkedIn? Maybe I, I, I'm just the, the influx of what people will like, what, what is it called where they, um, they, uh, approve you for something or they vouch Fr for your friend request. You. Oh, that's the, um, I endorse you. Yeah. Endorsements. Yes. I'm just expecting a whole lot of endorsements like windows 98 or, uh, DOS, you know, or something along those lines. I endorse you for true talk. I... <laughs> that's what I'm saying. Uh, yeah, yeah, we'll see. Maybe eventually I'll put something. It's just all I ever hear from people that are on it is nightmare horror stories of the recruiter spam. And I'm like, I'm not looking for a job actively. So what's well, the incentive for me to be on there? So we'll see. True story. I got a book offer from being on LinkedIn. Oh, okay. That was totally random. Uh, and that's the only time that I have gotten published so far. But anyway, it's more that you would you would increase the net value of all of our associated <laughs> profiles if we By were association. able to convince you to do oh, so. Oh yeah, no, I know that guy. <laughs> that horrible network effect, kind of insidious. But uh, so it's great to hear that you are therefore able to join the fold on a more permanent <laughs> basis, rather than us just nerd sniping you and feeling completely guilty. Will nerd snipe you, and it will be tangentially related, possibly to your day to day work. Yeah, that, I mean that that was one of one of the reasons that I uh, really wanted to take the job and ended up taking the job was because my heart really is in the in the Mac administrative community side of things. I, I just it it really scratches that itch for me in a technical sense, and my actual day to day job at the time was mostly administrating windows machines which i don't get to flex any of those muscles so me attending conferences that was all out of pocket no nobody at my prior job was going to be able to foot the bill for any of that stuff so like my total activity and involvement in the community over the years was 100% personal and yeah now it's actually part of that discussion about getting that job was essentially <laughs> people in slack were like uh if you get this job that doesn't mean you're gonna like be around less with us will it <laughs> and i was like no 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 part of the conversation that we had was that i wanted my involvement into the community to only increase not decrease and that was something that they could offer me. They'll actually sponsor me going to the conferences and uh, the activities that I have with the community they fully support. And, and that's part of the reason why I got hired was just because of all the things I'm involved in. Now people can poke the bear, as it were, for, for technical stuff. And it's actually like my job now. <laughs> <laughs> so in some ways, I'll probably be even more inclined to respond. So it, it'll be good. It'll be good. Definitely. 
the one concern that people could have is that with companies where software is their business, uh, that you have to be more vigilant of your open source presence. I know that Dropbox is very present in the open source community. Yes. They just recently open sourced a hit chat slash Slack-like self-hosted product that they had acquired when they brought in uh, a specific team into Dropbox. Um, you're not really concerned about the, though, are you? There's no new licensing concerns for your gists or anything like that? It's funny you mentioned the gists. Um, I, that, that's <laughs> that's uh, something that I am horrible. I, like, I put a lot of code on GitHub, but so much of it is in gists that it's just like, <laughs> oh, yeah, I'll just paste this up and here's a solution for something. Good luck finding it, essentially. Mm. The the side effect of that, though, is that the gists, it's not explicit, the licensing on that piece of so the side of things. Um, mm. And all the actual legit GitHub projects that I have under my PudQuick uh, account those ones I was generally very good at doing like a BSD type style license or something like that. Basically like it's on you, whatever you want to do with this, do what you wish. So if anything, I may end up actually <laughs> sort of fixing the gist mess that I have on my account and doing like a general repository for stuff, kind of like Rich Troughton has with where he has like a just a scripts repository. And, and yeah, do do something like that so that that way, guaranteed, anything that I share that's a snippet like that of just a little code that does a something, it is at least explicit about the licensing piece of it. But you're right in that Dropboxes, they are very well receiving in the open source, the, the Zulip uh, chat project that you mentioned there. I already had conversations on, in my onboarding about, you, you, you know, if you want to get anything added to the official Dropbox, uh, you know, repo that's on GitHub, we got avenues of communication there just talk to these people and we can get stuff up and so yeah no they're totally on board with that so i'm not really concerned at all that it was definitely uh in the open conversation wise between me and dropbox i think with the repo piece of it it will be very selective as to which scripts would end up actually in that sort of catch-all and then it would be going forward i would try and put things in there you do solve a lot of problems with these things people are going to use them uh it was great that uh, nick mcspadden weaponized your way of looking at a product from the Mac App Store and finding out through an online call whether or not there was an update available for it. <laughs> That's just one of many where you could take full ownership of those things when they're going to be of value to your day-to-day -day work. Uh, that it, it's nice to be able to say, all right, you know what, he's actually going to live and die by it because this is the code that's going to help him get his job done. Yeah, I'll actually have to rely more on the stuff that I'm writing, <laughs> personally. <laughs> yeah, it may yeah. end up that it, that means it'll get. Um, actually, there there may be you know more than one commit to the project after the initial <laughs> commit. <laughs> Four years ago, yeah. yeah. Right. Changing gears of the type of things that would kind of help uh, level the playing field for folks that. I mean, there is a lot of hero worship. There's a lot of looking up to people in the community and thinking that what they do is, is beyond their reach. Uh, I think that we all kind of still, though, you know, we, we put our pants on one leg at a time. Uh, there is the, in the beginning, there was the command line, Mr. Lin, <laughs> give us the master class and or just those things that are off the top of your head where it kind of is now when it comes to the customizations that are must-have 
as you set up a new machine. Mm. Luckily, you were able to set up a new machine recently. <laughs> uh, and, and, and or, uh, I mean, if you're using fish shell, I don't know. I don't know if anyone are really going to get it. The more of the why behind the things that you use in your shell. Sure. Uh, if you could take it away. So me getting into the shell, mm, I, I guess it was, I already had an addiction to that type of environment coming from like Z-term pre-web internet type stuff going on where I was doing a lot of essentially terminal style typing into a lot of text environments. Um, and then when OS ten came out, I was like, Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> it, it was just and from day one, essentially just, I, I was in there under the hood, messing with it, wanting to do everything I possibly could. So, and, and I've been there ever since, but I, I may end up being rather boring on this side of things because I've actually got a personal philosophy for uh, computer using in that the number of customizations that I do is actually on the small side of things because I had a large, uh, well, have uh, many years uh, doing systems management. And I think one thing that a lot of people end up uh, causing problems for themselves from a conceptual standpoint from systems management is that once they start investing in all these customizations, they forget what the vanilla experience is like for your average end user. And so I kind of try and keep it mostly vanilla just so that the problems that I run into and the experiences I have, I realized that, oh, other people could have those problems too. And so my, I, yeah, I don't use iTerm or any of that kind of stuff. I'm still using Terminal App and uh, still using Bash for, for my default. Not even like a compiled newer version of Bash or anything. It's the system provided default. Um, but that kind of flows right into my um, programming system management style and that I try and design tools that will work right out of the box with vanilla Python, you know, the system included Python for OS X. So it, it's just sort of more um, more of a reflection of that core-based philosophy, essentially, of learn to live with things as they are out of the box and try to customize as little as possible because this is what Apple wants the experience to be, essentially. They, they're very controlling in their visuals and their styles and all that kind of stuff. So you hear people bemoan, you know, oh, I can't, uh, where's, what's a decent window manager for, for OS ten? It's like, okay, it's a totally different, <laughs> you know, uh, Aqua and all that kind of stuff, totally different environment. If you're coming from a Linux background, Windows management is not even really a thing on OS ten, unless you're talking about, you know, like... Uh, Apps like Cinch, you mean? Well, or, or um, Divi or, you know, all that kind of stuff where you get command lines where you can automatically split Windows 50%, 50%. I mean, we're just now getting to El Capitan where that's your window management. You know, you, you drag full screen applications together and, and you get a divider between it. And that's Apple's vision of it. My, my general recipe on day-to-day -day work is Terminal and then uh, Sublime Text 3. Love that program to death. I do have a couple extra plugins installed on Sublime Text 3 for doing things like working with formatting for Python code and stuff like that. So you're not using the black and white or the pro theme in Terminal.app, are you? No, I'm even on the default theme for Terminal. The default. So, so 
And, and so there's no dot file hoarding the, or... The closest thing I have to a customization is I like to just hard code the uh, host name piece into something silly on my terminal. So my prompt, maybe. But, you, you know, <laughs> <laughs> really, I'm pretty vanilla. In that. I, there, there are certain tools that I like to install uh, on a regular basis from a command line standpoint. Like I tend to install the Silver Searcher. The command line is ag. It's way better than grep. It's a fantastic tool. That you don't build from source, No. Correct? Uh, well, you know what? I used to be of that mind. I used to be, okay, I compile everything by hand, do everything by hand. But, ah, man, I, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older <laughs> or lazy or what. But the ability, especially once it brew added casks. Yeah, casks. Having pre-compiled to be able to just pull that down and immediately install it is really nice. And so you are actually okay with Brew? Uh, from a usability standpoint, uh, uh, from a usefulness standpoint, yes. From a way that they're doing things standpoint, I have some <laughs> serious issues with them. The user local stuff, especially in light of El Capitan with SIP and all that kind of stuff, that's that's a fight that's going to be going on for so long that it's honestly not worth it. They should just move to a different directory. But uh, that's 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 a whole other discussion. But yeah, um, I generally have man in the middle proxy installed, MITM proxy. Excellent, excellent command line tool. Uh, Charles proxy is a great graphical tool for proxying uh, web traffic, but it's not as good as a man-in-the-middle proxy. It actually uh, will screw up some types of traffic you're trying to capture. I'm almost always messing with video in some way, shape, or form, and so I've got MP4 box, which is from GPAC, I think is the name of the utility, or utility suite, uh, but MP4 box allows you to do easy corrections of things like FLV video files, take them out of the FLV container, put them into an MP4 container. Uh, I do a lot of video file work at home. Uh, for personal reasons. <laughs> um, and then class-dump is a extremely good tool for essentially getting very easy, readable Objective-C headers out of binaries, essentially. Okay, I want to unpack all of those. How is Sil Silver Searcher better than Grep? Uh, faster, number one. Um, it also has more sane defaults. Are people concerned about the speed of grep? It is a concern if you're searching the entire system folder because you're trying to find binary files that contain references to certain keywords or phrases. Wow. It's nice to have that little extra speed boost, let's say, if you're reverse engineering something. It also has saner defaults in that it's really meant to be essentially a programmer's friend. It will ignore certain types of files out of, like, .git files and things like that when you're doing searches for content and the output of it is extremely pleasant uh, when you're searching for something it will show you the name of the file and a little snippet with before and after text putting it in context of, of what where the match is also color-coded output which helps for reading and, and legibility defaults to recursive um, which is really, really useful. It's basically like does all the things that I would be typing in tons and tons of flags into grep anyways by default. And so I... And or pipelines. Yeah, or essentially. I've just gotten used to having it. It's it's like ag-i, whatever I'm looking for, usually finds whatever I want. I wish that there was an easier way to get these tools that the install instructions are brew install and i'm like no 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 well rudix you are familiar with yeah 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 it's another one of those hey we're gonna package open source for you and make it an actually completely dependency less bundle mm -hmm. 
that's always the catch is how do I push this out to a fleet? The Mac ports one, you can tell it to build you an installable package. Right. I still had the, those installs fail. Oh, really? With, due to lack of ports. Tools oh, yeah. No, it's, yeah, you've got to test it. It makes assumptions, unfortunately. It's not as self-contained as it could be. That's maybe one of the pieces I like about the brew philosophy, I guess. One of the design standpoints, the, the seller aspect that they have, where everything is in its own separate directory, literally the only time it actually ends up in your system paths, in the user local bin and all that kind of stuff, is a symbolic link. It's pretty self-contained or references one of those other self-contained directories like the actual build structure of brew that i like it's just where they put it in the Mm. end and how they tell users to use it that's dumb uh but moving on to the last part of our agenda we could talk about many things. I am interested in the fact that there are hints of brilliance where you're excited about something. And I know that it's brilliant like on its face, but I'm not sure why necessarily all of the time that <laughs> you are as excited as you are. Or in, in this particular case, the, the one that I put in, in our notes is how you then did the conversion. Uh, and it's because I don't understand C-types to begin with that you knew how to get more out of object C by speaking to, uh, the gentleman's name is Roland? Uh, Ronald, uh, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, Orusen? He's, yeah. he's also Dutch? Um, yeah, I'm not sure his nationality. He's definitely over in Europe somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Americans, I don't know, geography. Uh, <laughs> he's across the ocean, I think. There, there. <laughs> And not the ocean that's nearest yeah, to you. Yeah, the other ocean. ocean. that's nearest to me? Yeah, my wife refers to it as the wrong ocean. The wrong ocean, yes. Right, because there's no Hawaii and there's no Japan on the other side of it. Exactly. You know, I guess. With those people on the wrong but, you know, coast. <laughs> hey, you left coasters, you know, I, I make an exception for you. Um, so at, at some point you were relying on C types because of the lack of modules within the Pi Objective-C project. Uh, there weren't, there wasn't access to the same frameworks, or, or as con- as comprehensively all of the frameworks that you would want to interact with as a system administrator through Python. Yeah. So if you look at the API for OS ten, a lot of the older, more foundational pieces of the API are not all necessarily Objective C. Um, some of them are just C uh, security framework, <laughs> dealing with keychains and all that fun stuff is C. Uh, I really hope that Apple will revisit and revamp that and give us a, a really nice Objective C or uh, even Swift, but but really just a modern API for doing a lot of those interactions, but still very much C. Where the interesting barrier is, is that even the Objective C API, so so the the um, the Pi Objective C project, which is a really fantastic project for allowing you to take control of these native APIs from within Python. It uh, relies on essentially a, uh, they're called bridge support files, but basically they're instruction files that basically say, here's how you talk to this API. And there's so much API, there's just so many things to touch and talk to that they just automatically generated all these documents, all these instructions about how to talk to the API. And in some instances, what they generated is wrong, (laughs) or it's not as good as it could be. And the side effect is, is that if you try to use what was generated 
as is, like out of the box. Like you just say, import whatever framework or something like that in Python. You get errors back because the computer tried to do something automatically and it wasn't, there wasn't a human looking, paying attention to what came out, garbage in, garbage out type of thing. You basically, the results that you got, yes, they were accurate, but they made it so the Pi Objective C project couldn't reliably take advantage of what was generated. And so uh, I had, yeah, some email conversations with Ronald, who is the maintainer of that project, for clarification on some of these finer points, essentially. Like, I know what I'm looking at here is like 80% of the way there, but this piece of what got generated in this bridge support file, how do I make that more compatible with Pi Objective C. What could I change? How could I change that? And he gave some guidance and, and pointed me towards some things that, oh my gosh, it was like unlocking an entire extra section of the operating system that you could reliably play with. Uh, and, and basically, I, I, all these things that were roadblockers for me before that, yeah, I was attempting to come through the C types module on Python because. I could get it to work that way, but it, it really, you, you really don't want, you lose a lot of the syntactic sugar, the niceties that the Pi Objective C project, uh, it's not meant to be accessed through C types, but you could do it if you wanted to. And after this conversation with Ronald, it was like the scales fell away from my eyes and I could suddenly see or whatever. And, and, and uh, suddenly, literally, there were entire parts of frameworks that I had just avoided working with because I didn't know how to fix it. And and his instructions, I ended up putting it on my my blog, actually, uh, michaellin.github.io, posting the instructions that he gave me. For which topic? You were on the hunt for what in particular when all this went down? That particular piece I was working... Oh, that was... that. I think that was mounting file shares uh, with Python. Anybody who's working in an enterprise space and has users, especially with a Windows environment, gosh, the concept of like, oh, hey, our Windows users, we've got this group policy in place that makes it that drives just map when they log in, that they just pop open and they're connected to these drives. How do we do this on OS X? Hmm. Has been the nastiest question for forever because the only way that works reliably well is AppleScript. <laughs> AppleScript has that little mount volume, you know, command, and it would do your single sign-on. It would use your existing Active Directory credentials to connect to the share and mount it the way you would want it on, on the drive. But if you tried to use, like, SMB client or, like, uh, mount SMB from the terminal, you get all these weird little oddities compared to AppleScript, which just made it work like it worked on Windows. And I thought that was disgusting. I, <laughs> <laughs> I I mean, don't get me wrong. There are people who are working with just AppleScript that are doing fantastic, great things. But for me, who is doing so much with Python to go, why can't I do this in Python? Uh, I, I just uh, uh, felt dirty going back to AppleScript to do this right. So what I did was I popped open the AppleScript code that does the drive mounting in Hopper and actually looked up the APIs that it was using behind the scenes to do the drive mounts. And then I went into PyObjective-C to try attempt to use those APIs, and that's where I ran into that difficulty. That was one of the ones that had a bad signature. It, it didn't cleanly uh, get converted to good, accurate PyObjective-C. And I was getting weird errors and all this kind of stuff, and that's where I started that conversation with Ronald. The end result of it is now I have Python code that can 
flawlessly mount drives you, you know I, I I, I can do like you wouldn't believe like you wouldn't believe like <laughs> I can do things that you can't even do from the Apple script because I have more granular control like I can specify an alternate directory for it to actually mount at instead of at the volumes automatically created location uh, and oh oh it's fantastic to, to get that to work and yeah that's all part of that same blog post on on my uh, on my blog but uh, things like that yeah um, that that was the one at the time that that really put me over the edge. Like I got to figure this out. How can I fix this? <laughs> and hi Ben, about all that Apple Script talk. <laughs> Not Amy names Ben. Yeah, we love you, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> this was um, Shay Craig's fun, exciting uh, times with the JSS importer needing yes, to he, mount a file share. Yeah, he was very interested in, in using that code for for that, to basically mount access to the JSS, again, programmatically through Python. He was like, oh my gosh, you figured this out, and immediately glommed onto it. That is those type of things where I'm a onlooker of history in being made. <laughs> so for future reference, uh, because for whatever reason, there's going to be a lot of different people who look at the work you do and just not have an in to replicate it for themselves sure. or to expand on the work that you've done just because there's there's a disconnect in between wherever they are in, in their skill level or their experience level uh, to where they want to go with a project that they think they can use by Objective-C4. Uh, the possible assumption is they can go to the Bitbucket project for PyObjective-C, mm -hmm. they can see the modules of what's there, and what you had an issue with wasn't the fact that it wasn't even listed there, the system APIs that you were trying to access, it was that the bridge support file was, for whatever reason, not fully functional uh, due to just some way in which you weren't getting a response you needed, and he helped you delve further into it to be able to instrument essentially what the bridge support file kind of either should have looked like or how you can just bypass that whole conversation and get what you needed anyway. Yeah, yeah. So so PyObjective-C is a really interesting project in that it's one of the ones that Apple decided to include out of the box with OS ten, which is, again, why I'm really heavily interested in it because there's all that power there. But the problem is the version that ships with OS X is a snapshot in time. It doesn't stay updated as Ronald improves PyObjective-C. And part of it also relies on bridge support files that were generated by Apple themselves sprinkled through like the system frameworks folder, system library frameworks folder. So even if Ronald updates his code base and Apple ships a newer version of PyObjective-C with the next operating system release, that doesn't mean necessarily that the bridge support files, which contain that translation layer that allows PyObjective-C to connect to the OS X APIs, that doesn't mean that those got updated. In some instances, you can talk to Ronald or the the work with the Bitbucket uh, project and say, uh, I found a bad signature, please update it, and he'll pull on his end and fix it in PyObjective-C. But some of those bridge support files, that's Apple, and you got to, you know, uh, send them a message. But in this case, the signature wasn't technically wrong. The signature was technically right. It's just, to be very specific about it, it was a pointer to a, a core foundation type, a um, 
pointer to a uh, CF Dict, uh, CF Dictionary, which is called a CF Dictionary Ref, which bridges transparently, is identical to a NS Dictionary. A, a pointer to a Core Foundation Dictionary is an NS Dictionary. That's one and the same. They'll magically bridge. It's fantastic. But the problem is, PyObjective-C understands NS Dictionaries, because that's Objective-C. It doesn't understand raw pointers. It, it, there's two ways that the signature could be written, both of which are 100% technically accurate. One of them PyObjective-C likes, the other not so much. And, mm. and the problem is, it was I needed to fix that, basically. Um, mm. And uh, it's, So it wasn't uh, like you sent him a pull request. No, um, no, it's not anything that he could fix on his end. Literally, the bridge support file in question was inside the system library frameworks folder. Okay. It's part of the operating system. But now that he's aware of it, he's in close contact with Apple. He might be able to get them to fix it. I could send in a radar to Apple saying, hey, this should be updated. But again, the signature's not incorrect. Apple may push back and say, no, that's accurate. It's just PyObjective-C that needs to deal with it or whatever. You know? <laughs> Drop the sunglasses. Yeah. yeah, basically. And in the meantime, with his help, I was able to basically sort of massage the signature a little bit and make PyObjective-C really happy about the whole scenario. Yeah, it's not just uh, C. It's C++ in, in many uh, instances mm -hmm. where Apple just, like for QuickTime, I had heard for them to be able to make that cross-platform to be able to run on Windows and have it be more portable, that is going to be in C++ and PyObjective-C. There's an Objective-C part of that. That's mm -hmm. what we're talking about in what you're directly interacting with. So it's kind of go native or go home or uh, <laughs> go to C types, which is more universally available within Python on, on multiple platforms to get to that C layer. Mm -hmm. um, and that is all with my amateur understanding of the entire situation. But <laughs> uh, we are nearly close to time. One thing that I wanted to mention is that we had someone join us in Slack that was in the Hackintosh community, possibly most famously. Uh, I'm speaking of Hiker Alpha is one of his pseudonyms. Uh, and I know that you had said hi to the gentleman when he first appeared when we were discussing things around uh, system integrity protection. Mm -hmm. And he has since uh, had unfortunate news. What was your interaction with him before he appeared in Slack. I had followed a lot of his work that he had published. You're very accurate in the sense that he is involved in the Hackintosh community, but he's in a really interesting piece of the Hackintosh community in that he's reverse engineering the mechanisms that make OS ten work at all, basically. Like there's there's people who are like, oh I need this driver to make it work on my, you know, Dell whatever or something like that. That's not right. what he's involved in. He's involved in the lower layer pieces where like there is no such thing as SMC on a, a, a PC and yet that is a core piece of operating system management for OS ten. So when it expects to speak to an SMC device what what do you do you know and so he's worked he, he's involved in in that piece of it like the underlying mechanisms where op, the operating system really talks to the hardware and how to put in a layer in between there so that it works on an average pc instead of apple Macs. 
he is very involved in the investigations into security mechanisms like system integrity protection, things like that. And so I was very closely following his work because I've always been interested in that kind of thing. And I was very pleasantly surprised to see him show up in our Slack community because we're a bunch of Mac admins and that essentially have a guy show up in there that what he does on a regular basis is anything but Mac for the most part. I mean, he, <laughs> from, from, from a very technical standpoint, it, the people who depend on him most are the people who don't own Macs. So to have him to show up in an environment of people who strictly work with Macs was shocking, but uh, so pleasant to just to be able to talk to him directly. And yeah, essentially what happened, and if you go read his blog, uh, pikeralphawordpress.com, I believe, mm -hmm. the last post that he had on there, he was essentially complaining about vision problems and losing his vision. And then it was updated by uh, apparently uh, his dad uh, saying that he had had a, an, an aneurysm uh, and was uh, had been flown to a hospital. And it, in the comments lower on, there's some additional details above and beyond that. But very saddened to hear that. Um, very, uh, I, I hope things go well uh, for him and he recovers. But a great, great loss to essentially uh, the small but active uh, reverse engineering community uh, for OS X. Uh, and, I mean, uh, you don't get a lot of people who are at that intersection between the hardware and the OS that it doesn't matter what label it is on the box, they're that authoritative about the the technology that they're dealing with, that they can understand and fix things that were not meant by very large corporations <laughs> to be done. Being able to run this operating system on other uh, hardware was definitely a possibility when they made the change from PowerPC to Intel. Mm -hmm. You did not get a Mac Pro. Uh, you got a big white box is how some people refer to those build-your-own-PCs. Um, but he was a very prolific blogger in the fact that he updated. Uh, it's P-I-K-E-R, alpha.wordpress.com uh, was his blog. And, that, and his whole uh, family, his whole family is involved in this. It's so amazing. I mean, his dad was involved in the Hackintosh community for forever. As Master Chief, I think, was the name he went by. And then uh, his sister was involved, like, this, and and she passed away as well. I mean, it, it really, uh, really hard uh, what happened there. And I, I, I hope things get better for him. I really hope he ends up pulling through. I mean, the more good wishes that can be in the world for him is why I'm bringing him up at all. Uh, there's a shot on his blog of backstage watching Tim Cook come out and wave at the audience. Uh, there is affiliations that he may have had with, uh, I think it was either a research institution um, or Google directly that kind of tell you what level he was playing at. Yeah. Uh, so his posts are there as a pretty definitive document of at least, you know, uh, a wonderful mind as, as the statement goes. But uh, we are hoping for him. And this is, even though, Definitely. even though we're not trying to be news topical, it's just something that I wanted to get a little more background from you specifically since you were there when he had uh, intersected with our Slack. Uh, and so that we can also just re-broadcast the signal a little louder. Yeah. But that is our, our 45 minutes. This is the Frogger 45. <laughs> there you go. The big reveal. <laughs> Aren't you glad you listened all the way through so that I can announce uh, what this is and, and hopefully... 
uh, this becomes a thing. Hopefully you're okay with that branding. You're okay with the Frogger 45? Yeah, it works for me right now. <laughs> well, well if, if we need to rename it, I mean, it's all going to be under the How about the Frogger 12? The Frogger 3? <laughs> I'm kidding. <laughs> I mean, you got a good run going here that you can take these topics that, you know, you're already an enthusiast about and run with them and be eloquent on them. So hopefully people are looking forward to them. Hopefully we get some good feedback about them yeah. uh, and that we have more people able to hear your way of thinking, whether or not they can actually replicate what you <laughs> deliver. Uh, no, don't replicate my way of thinking. I want people to think differently so that we can come up with different ideas about how to solve problems. If you're not exposed, though, to the the search for knowledge, if you're not exposed to enthusiasm about certain topics, then you won't really know that you can internalize that for yourself, for those things that you're uh, excited about or, or want to achieve. So thank you, each and everybody. Mr. Lin, do you have your sign-off? Uh, sign-off? Uh, hope to see everybody on Slack. Uh, ser <laughs> no, seriously. I mean... It, 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 if you haven't tried it out, folks, uh, macadmins.org, free sign up. We have over 2,100 people that are Mac admins in there of various, of every level. And uh, there's real-time communication with your peers. If you've never done it, it's fantastic. But highly recommend. So he wants to see you in there. Yes, definitely. Come see me in there. Listen to the Frogger. And thank you all for listening again. <laughs>